Today's episode of the Stallside Podcast was brought to you by Rudin Riddle Veterinary Pharmacy. Very domestic today, aren't you? Oh. <laughs> up. Yeah. Alrighty. It's just uh, there was something there. I wasn't sure what it was. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to wander through the whole hour. Yeah. Yeah. Find it now. Just get it out of the way. So, Bert, how are you doing today? I'm good. It's a uh, it's a great day. How about you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah. She was uh, going through some files last night, and um, I you pulled up. Got I pulled up your file. <laughs> and I just sort of decided that I should have a look inside it. And lo and behold, we've actually done 50 episodes. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, I was surprised to hear that. Yeah. So no, nobody would have thunk it when we started off. No. So we must be doing something right because we got to 50. So um, because, you know, um, I need to be woken up every time you're talking, I thought we'd actually go over sort of what we've done. So we did have a first year review which right. was actually um, sort of earlier on for anybody that wants to look back. We talk about our first year, but I'd like to really talk about, say, the second year, even if it's the 50th uh, show. So okay. we sort of started it off, um, we talked about um, a lot with Dr. Larry Bramlich. Now, you know, as as you know, leading light in equine surgery, pioneered a whole lot of techniques, but he's done a lot of other stuff as well. He has done a lot of stuff. It was neat for me to hear, you know, his background and what made him interested in, in brought him into equine medicine. I thought that was real interesting. Yeah, it was. You know, like Kansas boy comes from, you know, like a farm background. And he's really like blazed a trail on a lot of things uh, to do with equine surgery. And he's also been very instrumental in a lot of the research that's gone on. He's one of the founding uh, members of the Grayson Jockey Club Research Foundation, which has actually really been a leading light in equine research and and driving the uh, science to, to make things better for horses. Yep. And I learned a lot, too, that it wasn't always, you know, he had to struggle to get where he's at. And uh, he definitely earned his way yeah. up to being who he is. Yep, that's exactly right. Things didn't come easy. Along through your life, you've run into these things where um, you do go one road um, when you could have chosen another. And I've been really fortunate in the, in the years that I was growing up that there have been influential people that met me at certain points in my career and, and guided me down one path or the other that turned out for me to end up here, and I, I'm really thankful for them. Uh, I guess it's, you know, when Yogi Berra said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. So <laughs> you don't always know that it's a fork in the road, but sometimes it's an intersection, and maybe you wouldn't go the direction you went unless somebody influenced you. Then moving on, we actually talked about strangles with Dr. Ashley Boyle from the University of Pennsylvania. That's right. Yeah, that was a good episode. It was interesting to see her her input from that and just get a, a top to bottom review of of the disease. Yeah, it's um it's been around for a long time and there's a reason why we haven't fixed it yet. Is because, you know, nature at work, I mean, this disease wants to survive and it wants to get around. And it's got some really good ways of doing that. Yeah. And I think in a lot of situations it's costly to try to deal with this issue. But unless you actually go after it, it's just going to keep there, and it's just going to keep coming back. Right. It's, 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 a, it's an ugly disease, and people hate hearing the word. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's something you fear because it is such a nuisance. It, it, it is really, too. But, I mean, the thing that really was hammered home with this is if we're ever going to control this in a herd outbreak situation, we must detect the asymptomatic carrier right. because that is the horse that persisted within the herd. That's, that's right. And that was the big thing is um, finding that horse because it's not necessarily the one that's dripping pus that you notice 
That's yep. that's the problem. Yeah, and people forever thought it was endemic on farms. No, it was just in that in that one mare that's got a chondroid and keeps infecting yep. everybody year after year. That's exactly right. Like little old Nellie, she's got a kind face, and the kids all like to uh, to ride her. She's never sick. She's never sick. But that's that's <laughs> your typhoid Mary. There you go. Yeah, interesting uh, point that you talked about metastatic strangles. Uh, what sort of animal would be likely to fall prey to that because usually we think of strangles is just in the upper respiratory tract and some draining lymph nodes which cases have you seen that where it's spread throughout the animal and, and caused issues in other places well i think it can happen potentially potentially happen in in any horse but it might be the horse that is more immunocompromised in some in some respect um i mean there was was a theory at one point that horses that were treated with antibiotics too early, that maybe that would actually make them predisposed to, to um, faster strangles, but there's actually been no evidence to actually prove that. Um, so I don't think that that's the case. Um, you know, there really is no scientific evidence out there that says that that, that is a cause. So moving along, we talked to Dr. Laurie Metcalf on staff here, and I'd probably say... There wouldn't be too many people uh, in the country that have seen as many foals newborn in a primary care situation. No, she's fabulous. She's so gentle with them, and she does a really good job. She thinks a lot about um, the foal, and she does a lot of good. She trains a lot of our people here, and um, very broad knowledge base. Yeah, it's um, good. She's got some great insights, you know, born by the experience, and she's really good for us to work with her because, you know, she um, asks good questions, she sends good referrals, and when we send things back to the farm under her care, we just don't have to worry because we know that, you know, we've sort of got to the place where we're both thinking the same, and it's so much easier for us to do what we do with that continuity of care on the farm. Yeah, she's very insightful, does a, a, a incredible exam, does a good job with her stethoscope and her hands and just understands false. Yeah, and I think people don't really realize just how important what you just said is hands and stethoscope and you know the diagnosis is between the ears, right? That's right. where you make it. And it's good to have somebody out in the field with that much experience that's actually helping us along in here. Yep. And it's a real hard call as a veterinarian, especially for me on the farm, to decide which one of these need to be referred to the clinic for surgical repair um, and, and things like that. So, you know, I try to make an informed decision and try to, um, you know, involve my clients in that decision on, on what to do. But it, but it's hard on these sometimes. But the most important thing is to recognize them, you know, and, and some of these will get missed that are super subtle. And all those folds, the majority of those go fine. But I just am more comfortable knowing that they're there so we can work accordingly. So We were lucky enough to uh, talk to Dr. John Madigan from the University of California, Davis. One of the giants in uh, veterinary medicine, um, not just what he's accomplished, but his personality. A lot oh, of fun to be around. Absolutely. The guy's a force of nature, and he's done so many things, like he's known for his neonatal work. But I think what people don't appreciate is how much he has actually done for rescue of horses as well, and especially with the fires that have been in California. So we were lucky enough to actually get him on to talk about what's become known as the Madigan Squeeze. Now, when I first heard about this, I thought, what are you going to do with that piece of rope? Like, I've been threatened with a piece of rope enough times that I get a little bit worried about it. But um, just great insight into what's going on with the neonate and, you know, just really delved into the science of what's going on and how if this foal doesn't get the right delivery, if the environment isn't right and it doesn't transition to life outside the uterus properly, 
there's hormones that are right out of whack. And something as simple as squeezing this fold, you know, and again, it's pretty delicate, but actually just applying some pressure to this fold in the right places with a good old piece of rope, you can just transform these folds. And again, I'll say, I was a little bit skeptical. I was, worse than, it. I was worse than skeptic. I made fun of people that did it. And I was reformed when Dr. Madigan came on the yep. show. I have to admit, because he, he, you know, he put some perspective on it, and I've seen some people use it and try it. And yep. You know, it, it works. And you've got to pick your cases, and you've got to be very deliberate in how you do things. Absolutely. But for those folds where it makes a difference, it's transformational. You go from a fold that's nothing to a fold that's something very quickly, and it goes along and has its life. So, you know, points to him for, for actually getting out yep. there and working that out. No, and I, I think what you said was uh, – is key that you have to pick your cases right because there's it's not for everybody it's not yep. for it's not a cure all and it's but it does have some specific places oh, absolutely that, that like you said it's it's transformative yeah and yeah you know, just because he's such a multi talented guy uh, he talked to us in a subsequent episode about the fire rescue and the pictures he had were just heart wrenching and the situations that um, these horses are put in and therefore the people are put in when these horses are actually faced with these fires. And, I mean, we do our best to get out of those situations, but there's often a horse attached to these people, and what do we do? And it was really eye-opening to see just how these people put themselves at risk to save these horses. Yep. Yeah, and I didn't realize that he did so much. He does. He's done a lot, and he's um, brought a lot of people into that. And, and kudos to them. Very grateful for them for the humanitarian work that they do um, for those horses. Yeah, again, I think it's under-recognized. Like people hear about it, but they don't really realize what it's like. And he's there covered in smoke with a bandana over his face, and he's just mucking in with everybody else. He's not sitting on the fact that he's John Madigan. Yep. I mean, he is front and center, and he's one of the troops. And so we've all got to admire the guy for that. I agree. So just to show you what the practitioner may get, this is a stallion trying to breed this mare, their patient, and then tie him to a tree. Uh, we call that cowboy up veterinary medicine. Yeah, I mean, you're really stuck for facilities there. I mean, everything's just burned around and you haven't really got much to work with. Yeah, and then we got to talk to Dr. Craig Lesser, who's on staff here in the podiatry service. Now, this is one guy that is driven. I mean, he is just all about what he does. Uh, he's a large personality, and he just does great things, and he's going to do more great things oh, in the he, future. He works all day, works really hard, and then he goes home and he keeps on working. He have a on. lot of guys like that, but he's he's certainly one of them. And uh, you know, we we talked about the larvae and the yep. and the feet, and that was one of the things when they first start doing. It, I go, you you got to be kidding me. Yeah, is this is this for real? Um, but once you see those cases and you see what they do, again, the the right application. Yes, yeah. it makes a major difference. Yeah, this this is something that it's sort of like old medicine that was forgotten. I mean, okay, you see the pictures of say like the First World War and amputations, and and this is sort of what was done. But there's always a joke when I was growing up about you know I prescribe a course of medicinal leeches, right? And yeah. that you know that's sort of like medieval medicine before you understood anything. And yet when you actually look back. The larvae especially just do fantastic things. They debride the tissue, they keep the blood supply going there, they stop the tissue fluids building up, and actually gives things a chance to heal. They only eat the dead stuff. Yep. And, and it's, it's interesting when you use them, you go from being grossed out by them to opening up that pack and seeing how they've grown yep. and... It's it's you're, you're you're kind of nurturing them along, and you're grateful to see them being yeah. healthy. And yeah, uh, yeah, I know. I've looked sometimes when they're taking the treatment plate off, and I just go, "Whoa, what is going on there?" But when you think <laughs> about what's going on, they are doing what you cannot do. Yep, yep. 
absolutely. It's it's neat what they do, and and that was a good episode with with Craig, um, helping people understand that that's that's an option for treatment because it's a difficult place to treat. But those larvae can get into places and and do things there that you know our our medications can't do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with a scalpel, we're a much blunter tool than those larvae are. And he also talked a lot about tendon laxity in neonatal foals, and that's a major issue with some of these foals that come out. They're weak. Yeah, they have laxity. I mean, their conformation's all wrong. Their fetlocks are on the ground. Their toes are turned up, and you can very rapidly end up with no foal in that situation. Absolutely, we, and we've seen that happen where they, you know, you, even your best care because you can't bandage them makes yep. their tendons worse. Makes them worse, and then they they're they're on the ground, and it's just a battle of time to get them to come up before they wear through those tendons, um, through the skin and into the tendons. So. The podiatrists have done a lot, being able to do stuff with their feet that, that change elevations and angulations and, and, and picks, them, picks them up off the ground, help them out a lot. Yeah, and I get these foals in and you know, I get over the part that, you know, okay, this thing's trying to die and you get it through that. But, yeah, we, we, want, a, we want a horse that has a good life. We want a, comp- a competitive animal here. And the difference that that can make, I mean, it's just fascinating what they're able to do by just, you know, it's an applied science, you've got to think about it, it's simple mechanics. Yeah. Well, they make it look simple, but it's actually really skilled, and they have got so many foals out of the hospital that would not have got out bar yeah. for their care. Yep. You know, so if we have a bad laminitis case that comes in that's uncontrolled with, with mechanics, we might be doing tenotomies to help re-align re- the bony column and hopefully reperfuse the foot and get that horse back to a comfortable state. Um, and yeah, you know, it's it, one of the coolest parts about my job is I, I only plan about an hour out because I have so many add-ons throughout mm-hmm. the day, which can be frustrating, but you know, I, I don't know what I'm going to see next. And it, and it can be a whole wide variety of things. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting. We had a couple of our, uh, reproduction experts on the show as well. We had Dr. Edda Bradekamp and Dr. Pete Sheeran right. on to talk about the problem mare yep. and their approaches and Probably what's more important than anything is when you actually start on these mares because you know you've done enough reproduction work to be faced with a mare like in February. Hey, doc, she didn't get pregnant last year. She's dripping pus. Things are wrong. She's not cycling. And you really don't have the time to fix it. And one of the most important things they impressed upon people was do them early and do them often. Don't present those mares just before the breeding season. Let's have a bit of a look at those mares in the fall. Yeah, no, and it's, there's nothing more frustrating to veterinarians, farm management, and especially owners of the horses paying their bills when, when they want to know when they're going to the breeding shed and you're going, hey, we got to clean up that, uh, it's got a cervical laceration that we're going to have to fix and you're 60 days down the line or, you know, you treat them two or three cycles in a row to get them cleaned up, figure out what's going on with them. That's that's a real frustration for people. Um, and so, so getting to them early is, is key. Yeah, I say I look at problem mares like voting. Uh, vote early and often. Often, yeah. Yep, same thing with problem mares. Look at them early, look at them often. There you go. Right now, it's about three months of a lot of mares to palpate and a lot of problems to solve when people like Bart call me and say, I can't get this mare pregnant. What's wrong with her, you know? So then I get to pull my hair out and Bart says, she's off my list for a while. So <laughs> I usually say what's wrong with me, not the mares. That's yeah. what I first well, well, yeah, and you're like, why isn't she pregnant? What'd I do wrong? You know, yeah, exactly. You, yeah, you're, I don't know. I think... I find it's funny we all, when we talk, when I hear other people say that because I feel like I'm the only person. I check the mirror and she's not pregnant. I immediately have that sinking feeling, and I'm like, she's not pregnant. I failed. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know that I failed. I mean, 
She yeah. got to the stallion on time. She ovulated. Everything looked great. But yeah. I blame myself before I blame the stallion or the mare. Yeah, so. there you go. <laughs> yeah, keeping on the reproductive bent, uh, we actually had Dr. Charlie Scoggin on the show as well, and he's actually developing uh, ICSI, intracytoplasmic sperm injection, as a service within the hospital. Yeah, and Ch- Charlie is another character at the hospital, and I think he likes it because it's a little bit like playing video games. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. He sort of strikes me as he's sort of like a, a really young guy uh-huh. stuck in a oh, not quite so young guy's body. But That's exactly yeah, right. Not saying anything. But you should hear the music that comes blasting. And I think we talked about it in that episode. He listens to some weird music. He, he sort of does, yeah. But uh, I think he's, um, he's, he's a frustrated hip-hop <laughs> MC. Yeah, I think that's go. it. But, you know, that's fine. Just like channel, channel that disappointment towards what he does. He does and he does that very well. It is, it, and he is very, very focused on reproduction yep. um, and, and thinks about and does some things that, that very few people in the country can do. Yeah, he's brought this sixty program a long ways for us, and uh, there's there's some neat stuff coming around the bend. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like it started from nothing, and it's been driven by Charlie. So uh, we're really grateful for we him for grateful doing for that. Him. Yep, and the whole group. The, the, you know, the whole group has has been involved, but but Charlie's certainly been the leader. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, it's just great to hear from uh, our reproductive people on the show and what they're doing. And yeah. it's it's such an integral part of this practice is oh, yeah. that you got to get these mares pregnant, otherwise nothing else matters, right? That's right. Never have a sick foal if you don't have a conception. Exactly right. <laughs> Never have a sales yearling unless you have a neonate. That's right. Um, you know, we, we get a real appreciation for how good Mother Nature is and, mm-hmm. and also a true respect um, for, for what she can do. Um, it's also quite humbling at times. Um, but... You know, I do foresee a future where um, we we're biopsying these embryos and, and prior to implanting them, we're telling the owners it's going to be this sex, it's going to have this color, it's going to have this particular gene, it's going to be susceptible to this disease but resistant to this one. Um, I, I think that that's, that's coming on down the road here. And um, I, th- I think that's what's really exciting. That the pre-implantation genetics, that's what I was referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, see, I see where um, people could latch onto that in the future. Yeah, it's been a great ride with you, Bart. Um, but there's been a couple of times you've left me by myself. I and did, so yeah. one of them I actually interviewed myself. Yeah, we did have an inter- interview of Pete Morrissey interviewing. Don't go down the road that I stumbled down because it didn't end well. We really just want to make things better for everybody. And again, I want to leave this job knowing that I made things better for the people that followed me. And I want them to be better th- this job than I was. And that was Stallside for this week. We've had a guest that could only be described as special. We've been talking to Dr. Peter Morrissey from Rudin Riddle Equine Hospital, giving his views on all things, sometimes jaded. See you next time. Thanks very much. That was the weirdest show that we've had, but it was interesting. It was it was kind of cool. Well, it was weird the way it was put together and the, the subject matter and the host. I mean, it wasn't exactly <laughs> sort of straightforward either. I had some tough questions. You got some softball questions. I did, yeah. I actually sort of basically had both sides of that one <laughs> sorted out. But we also had another episode that you missed, which is a shame because we talked to Dr. Diane McFarlane down at the University of Florida. Yep. Um, talked a lot about her work with pituitary dysfunction in horses, you know, pars- pituitary pars intermediate dysfunction, PPID, you know, known as Cushing's, um, and she is one of the researchers that has taken this a long way, and she's got this herd of horses, she's looked at them metabolically, she's looked at the endocrine system, and just fabulous insights on how we have to look at these horses and how we have to manage them. Well, and that whole cascade of events that happens when, when, when that happens, when, when they go into that, I'm sorry.
That's fine. That, that whole cascade of, of things that happens in the body when they have PPID um, is interesting. But these researchers have done some things where we can we can treat that and we can keep normal horses. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. And everybody thinks that, you know, Cushing's PPID is a disease of like really aged horses. That's usually where you see it, like right. 15 onwards. But I had one one month ago that came in. It was like between 9 and 10 years of age. And the horse just had the right confirmation. And, yeah, originally the horse had presented, you had, had some laminitis issues of seeing the podiatry service, but they really had trouble taking weight off this horse. And this mm. horse was insulin resistant, which, again, is another whole bowl of wax. Yeah. But pituitary dysfunction can drive that insulin resistance, and that struggled this horse for a number of years. This horse was less than 10 years of age. I tested it, and lo and behold, it's probably one of the most dysfunctional pituitaries I have ever seen. Horse came back today. It's lost 70 pounds. The activity level of the horse has gone through the roof, and the owner is ecstatic. And again, they had to do the hard work, yeah. right? They had to manage the horse uh, with the sort of instructions that we gave them. But getting that pituitary under control has just been life-changing for that horse. And they can be really difficult to diagnose. And so for anybody out there that's got a horse that's wondering, yeah, I mean, when you look at this horse, you can get a pretty good idea about what's going on. And sometimes it's really difficult to confirm. But I just impress upon them, don't let age be a barrier to investigating this in the horse if the clinical picture matters, because that's a real eye-opener to get a horse of that age. Yeah, and you, that, that is interesting. I've never seen one, never even heard of one that young. So that's that's interesting. But but I think that is the take-home message is that it, it takes some work, yep. but you can manage these horses yep. and you can make a difference in their lives. You can you can have a relatively normal horse. Yeah, and horses live for a long time, right? And so right. they're going to live for a whole lot longer and a whole lot healthier. There's lifespan and this health span, right? So that horse's health span is going to be so much greater right. if this condition is addressed. And as you say, it's readily treatable, and it's just down to uh, people like Dr. McFarlane that have just built their careers and just had inquiring minds and just worked this out for the betterment of all. Yep, she's done some great work. The only place where I would say that that is should be being used is if there is an absolute reason you cannot use an oral drug because that's an injectable. Mm -hmm. So because of the fact that we have an approved FDA approved drug that's given orally, we should be using that um, when we are using an oral drug. But if there is a reason in a particular horse that you can't use oral drugs, then compound expertaline would be an option. And moving on from the pituitary issue, you mentioned about horses getting older. Complementary therapies are such a big thing and just getting bigger. And we had uh, Dr. Heath Sonia on the show. A lot of his practice is involved in chiropractic and acupuncture. And the people want this care for themselves, so they want it for their horses. And he's out there providing it. And it's interesting. This is, this is another one that you've got some doubters. Yep. Um, but once you... You have people that are skilled that know what they're doing that can show them how they can they can help these horses um, with these alternative therapies. Um, it, it can make a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, you're right. There are some doubters, but once people see the results, it's like everything. It doesn't work for all of them. I mean, everything. But what we do doesn't work for every horse in every situation. That's right. But it's just something else that you can add on to what you can provide. And in some situations, that's what makes the difference, and that's what actually gives the animal the care that it needs. Absolutely. They can also be prophylactic therapies as well. You know, if you've got a horse that's not moving correctly, and, you know, if it's not fluid in motion, we feel it ourselves too. You start walking one way, you get hurt, you start limping over a little bit, you're like, you're not really lame, 
but you got some pain in your hip a little bit. And it's because you're overusing that. You know, the muscles on the other side aren't as strong as it. Horses get the same way. They just don't tell you that. And so what happens is they'll go and jump a big jump or they'll go out there and run around and they'll end up pulling a tendon or hurting a muscle somewhere. And it's, some of that can be preventative if they weren't constantly putting that pressure on them one leg because they've already had a little inkling of pain. And when we talk about uh, acupuncture, I mean, that's a very old treatment modality. Right. But we had a great guest on the show, Dr. Kevin Corley, who's uh, based in uh, Ireland. And he, um, he really uh, had a great discussion on where the technology is taking us and how we manage the horses and how we record their information. And it was a real eye-opener because now we can actually put a chip in the horse and we can actually get that information to our device and there's so many things that can be done to monitor the health of that horse to find problems before. I think we're just issue. we're just starting to crack the, the the edge of this with with what what can be done. It's always been interesting to me how much further ahead like the dairy industry and some of the production animal industries are with technology. And there's nothing that's, that's more valuable than the thoroughbred horse yep. or, 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 or you know a lot of our different horses for that matter and we just haven't invested in them with the technology to be able to to raise them with with the other um means that we've got and so it's nice to see somebody starting to crack the surface of that a little bit yeah and what's bringing that sort of into sharp relief is you know we've had previous guests on the show talking about the difficulties of getting people into the equine industry and while we all know there's fantastic opportunities there's just sort of a situation where I don't think people realize that opportunities exist. And so this technology can be leveraged to actually provide the best of care to these animals with the people that we have, and everybody does better for it. And you're right, I absolutely believe we are only scratching the surface. I mean, the ability to harvest this information is not only going to be important to the animal that's being monitored, but pooling it information, we're going to learn things which we can apply to other populations and just do things better. Well, and that's, that's just it. There's so much information so much technology out there it just need, takes the right person to make the link between the technology and the horse to be able to pull it together and and, and uh, dr corley is one of those that's done that because there's no point having something if it's difficult for people to do and that that's really that in the company there's this mantra that there's no such thing as a user error it's just we haven't created it well enough so that the user can do it without thinking and in the technology vein we had uh, Dr. Katie Garrett, who we've had on the show before, a boarded surgeon who's in charge of our imaging here at Lexington, and Dr. Jose Brass, who is our surgeon in our Wellington practice, talk about PET scanning. And yeah, it's a fascinating technology, um, po positron emission to uh, tomography. I managed to get that out. <laughs> PET scanning is much better. But um, that is just an amazing technology that's just ported over from people. And, you know, people are familiar with what a, a CAT scan is, they're familiar with radiographs, familiar with ultrasound. But this is something that can actually look at the bone and tell you what's going on with the bone metabolically, how it's turning over. And it's just fascinating to me what that has the potential to tell us. And, and the potential is right because we're just starting to learn what we can know from that. And like you said, the, the technology is there. Just it's the application now in, in the horse. And that's the way it is with most of this stuff. Very rarely is, are things developed just in veterinary medicine. We, we, we harvest and borrow that as a lot of that stuff from, from human medicine. But, but look at the advances. There's, there's just, it's amazing what's, what's possible. For me, the exciting thing about PET scanning is if you're looking at the metabolism of the bone, maybe you can sort of say, hey, this bone's not very happy. 
we've got the potential for an injury here or some yeah. impediment to the horse reaching its potential, and it gives us the ability to intervene before that becomes an issue, and that's going to be good for everybody. I think that's the hope. Yep. 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 We'll have to see if that that happens. Um, but it, but it's only natural that you know we take the PET scan away from people and put it on animals. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because. After all, most of them are more deserving than the people. <laughs> Could be, yeah. PET scan, you, you can use it for some soft tissue injuries, but honestly, I think your money is probably better spent pursuing a different modality, you know, MRI, for example. Um, so where you're suspecting a bone-related stress injury, those are the very best cases. Yeah. So in your population, Jose, where do you see this um, fitting in? Well, no, and the Dr. Gary explained it good, and, and, and I will add to that. It cannot be used as a screening tool. I think that that's a mistake, at least for now, until we know uh, we familiarize ourselves more with the equipment and the machine. But it will be, you know, cannot be used as a screening tool. It has to be used, you know, you got to start with your lameness. Start with your lameness, and you, you do your nerve block, and you look at the horse. And it was great to talk to Dr. Jose Brass from Wellington. Right. But probably not everybody knows we also have a practice in uh, Saratoga, New York. We do, and it's, uh, it's a nice practice. It's, I love Saratoga. Beautiful, beautiful area and uh, a beautiful practice. They're very proud of it. Yeah, it's a, it's a great town. And yeah, we had the privilege of talking to Dr. Liz Elzer, right. who's one of our surgeons here. Uh, Liz is a very interesting character. Um, she was an intern here. Um, she did a residency and then she, she's moved on and she's doing great things for us in Saratoga. But very interesting character, her background. I mean, she was, oh, yeah. an, she was an economist. Yeah. It just completely blew my totally mind unrelated. to know. Yeah. And she's a farrier. She's just such a talented well-rounded diverse person and you just think how good is it to have somebody with such a broad mindset doing something as specialized as equine surgery we, we we started you know early on doing episodes with the recognized stars you know larry bramlage and tom riddle bill rude scott pierce those those type of people <laughs> yeah uh, um now you distracted me wow and I, i'm i'm blushing <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it, we started with the superstars, and it, it's good to come back and look at the rising stars because we yeah. do have a lot of them, young rising stars in this practice, and Dr. Ells are certainly one of them. Uh, I've been sort of plugging our our clinicians all along, but um, I'd, I'd also like to put in a plug for our technicians. We have a really amazing technical staff there um, that um, we value a lot. And they they do amazing work. I mean, you know, we have. I confess, I'm embarrassed to say, I don't know exactly how many there are, but quite a few, um, probably in the order of 30 people. Once you put everyone, 30 or so people. Once you put everyone together, um, and um, they do great work and take a lot of pride in taking care of the horses at the clinic. Coming back to the repro theme, we had a great discussion with Dr. Ryan Ferris. Uh, he spent a lot of time at Colorado State University, did some fantastic research there on biofilm in the uterus. Now in practice in Oregon and doing really well. But I mean, biofilm is one of those buzzwords, but not everybody understands. But probably the take home point is bacteria are a whole lot smarter than we give them credit for. Yeah. And when they get together and work together, they can be actually really tough to deal with. And what they do is they form this biofilm. Yeah, and, and I like Dr. Ferris. He's, he's very level-headed, down-to-earth, and he understands the limitations of the, of the research and what we need to do. I, I thought it was a great episode. Um, 
because just his, his practical approach to everything. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I talked to Ryan about a lot of stuff. He asked me questions, I asked him questions, and you can always rely on practical um, sort of something you can apply to that horse in that situation. And the biofilm is, is fascinating. Um, the, the research first started, it actually came from dental um, work. Michelle LeBlanc, who used to be here, she set yeah. up a special seminar with a biofilm researcher from the University of Florida who actually looked at human teeth. And then he's showing up these pictures of this biofilm. Then you started to think, yeah, these bacteria aren't just like sitting there minding their own business. They're actually conspiring against us. And this biofilm is this community of bacteria. Sometimes it's mixed and they produce these slime layers and they have this three-dimensional structure where they actually all look after each other. And they can survive the antibacterials which we throw at them. They can survive a lot of the agents we put in the uterus to actually remove them. And we have to actually look at this biofilm and get to the point sometimes where we assay it in our laboratory here at Rudin Riddle and work out which particular agent is going to break that biofilm down because not everything works for all of them. Right. So, yeah, I get a little bit worried when microscopic organisms can be this organized. Well, and it explained a lot of things because we've all had those mares that you cultured repeatedly dirty and you were treating them with appropriate therapies and it didn't go away. Or you had a mare that clinically you knew she was dirty, yeah. but you couldn't culture, couldn't culture it. You couldn't figure it out what it yep. was. You go, Why, what is going on? And the biofilm explains that. Yeah. And, yeah, the take-home message really there is if bacteria can work together, why can't we? <laughs> yeah. Are you going to answer that? No, because there is no answer because <laughs> bacteria are obviously smarter than we are. It's really been fun seeing other groups latch onto this. I know um, there's starting to be some research in, in equine wounds and the role of biofilms and whatnot and, and really hoping that we just keep understanding this, this you know, concept a little bit more and what it is and what it's not, right? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If I was to put a list of differentials, if somebody goes, I have a problem there to send to you, biofilm wouldn't be number one on my list of, of problems, right? You know, it, it may be a role, but boy, it's probably going to be down more four or five or six or less on, on the list. There's going to be a lot of other problems higher up to start with that I'm going to want to rule out first before I jump on this mare has a biofilm. Yeah, so our final uh, uh, episode in the roundup is uh, Dr. Brad Tanner, who uh, is on the staff here at Rudin Riddle, one of the shareholders. and He um, is one of the few board-certified equine dentists in the country, and he came back to talk to us. He'd done a previous episode with just sort of basic dental care and just talked about the most amazing things, restorative dentistry in the horse, uh, fillings, bridges, just amazing stuff. Yeah, the stuff that he is doing, only a handful of the pe people in the, in the country can do that. But they are breaking through and saying, here's what's possible. And here's, here's some problems in the horse's mouth we really didn't recognize or know yep. they existed. And it's not just, um, you know, filing off sharp points and yeah. And stuff. There's there's a whole lot more to dentistry than that. Yeah, and as horses are living longer, right, their teeth continuously rub through their life, and you get right. to the point where, okay, maybe this horse is running out of teeth, so we need to preserve the ones that they have. And once upon a time, horse had a bad tooth, you'd wait till it essentially was ready to fall out, then somebody would come and pull it out. But now you're getting to the point, hey, let's be a little bit more proactive here. We have a defect in this tooth. Perhaps we can save that tooth. Perhaps we can uh, repair the deficit that's there, fill, uh, fill the carry 
you know, use the technical word, we can actually do something to keep that tooth and that horse's head, and it's going to need it for so much longer in its life. Because you know, once upon a time, if you saw a horse in its mid to late teens, that was an old horse. And now we're regularly expecting them to live to their mid to late 20s, and sometimes you'll see a horse in the 30s, and they're doing fine. And part of that is they've got a good mouth of teeth. Yep, very helpful. It's it's because they need that because like Brad talks about how many hours a day that they spend yep. chewing with these massive jaws and yep. they're, they're such powerful muscles and they're just grinding on those teeth. Yeah, um, it, it, it's an amazing it's an amazing part of the digestive tract. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you get these horses that come in that have oh, you know, I'm worried my horse has weight loss or is not performing. And you just got to look in the mouth because sometimes that's where the problem is. People want this big diagnosis, there's a malabsorption or there's some other disease. You crack the horse's mouth open, all of a sudden you got a bad tooth. And sometimes it, it seems like a simple thing, but it's not. I mean, that's just, as you pointed out, it's part of complete care of the horse is to make sure that it's, his teeth are functional. And, and he's the, one of the people that can actually you know, make something out of what really could be nothing very quickly. Yeah. I would say in this country, we are leading the way. We're really pushing forward, being as innovative as we can possibly be, just like we are in a lot of other fields in this practice. But as you look overseas and abroad, um, there's a good bit of information that's coming out of Germany, Austria, uh, specifically endodontics in England. There's a couple of practices in England that are really uh, publishing great information that we're all, we, we collaborate together, we speak together, we, go to, we speak at the same national meetings together, and uh, just a ton of valuable information coming out of England right now that's helping us do a better job to, to help a lot of horses save a lot of teeth. So Bart, that was a run through our first 50 episodes concentrating on the last year. 50th anniversary, congratulations. Yeah, that's right. Shouldn't we have a cake or something? Yeah. Did anybody bring us a cake? Nobody brought us a cake. We should work on that. That's that's probably one of the goals. I think we need uh, a few more amenities yeah, go, more, going forward. More cake. Food. More, more, more food. Yeah, that, more that's cake. true too. Yeah, more cake. But uh, yeah, you know, there should be gold as well. Like, isn't your 50th anniversary is gold? Is it really? Yeah. I'm not there yet. Uh, well, well we I've, got, I've got that to look forward to. Yeah, yeah but we were there 50th, but I mean, I'm yeah. really, really upset that you didn't acknowledge. <laughs> Get your gold. Yeah, get me some gold, man. I'm sort of. Would you like a tooth? Yeah, a gold tooth. Yeah, maybe Brad can do that for me. There you go. That would yeah. be good. Dr. Tanner put a gold crown on for you. Yeah, we're degenerating quickly. And that was stall side for this week, where Bart and I, rightly or wrongly, went through the last 50 episodes and um, walked down memory lane. Thanks for joining us for that. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>